Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. Pastor Merritt and Dave here with you. Uh, Today we'll be finishing up on lesson number 28 in the book of Daniel. We will be starting at the top of page 10 if you are following along in the outline. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Thank you, Father, for the provisions of 1 John 1, 9. We simply cite, name our sins as the Holy Spirit shows us and receive from God the Father because of what God the Son did. Forgiveness, not just for the named sin, but for all sin that we may um, commit. And it doesn't have to be specific because it says he will forgive us of all sin. Okay, David. Now we, you, you were you finished up with the bottom of page nine, and that was Alexander the Great had arrived, just as the scriptures predicted. Continue on. Alexander was physically tough and a brave warrior. He suffered severe war wounds, the last being quite serious. When on the Indus River. He is stabbed in the chest. I have three histories of Alexander's life and all make the point of how important uh, this was to etymology. Uh, The word cardia is the Greek word for heart. And... uh, Heart came to mean not just a palpitating pump, but it meant complete understanding of a particular verse or a particular word. Uh, He was, of course, in charge of his men, and they were chasing uh, the enemy and they got to the Indus River. The Indus River is the border of uh, to even today. Uh, two particular countries. One is uh, which, which is populated by Muslims and the other which is populated by Hindus and uh, the story goes and I'll go ahead and tell it David the story goes that uh, Alexander was 
really ticked off at his troops because of the way they were fighting. So he uh, took charge of the fighting himself and uh, showed, told them, I'm going to cross the river and show you how it should be done. And in the process, he was, as indicated in your lesson plan, stabbed in the cardia. Uh, and when they examined him, the comments were recorded how serious was the wound because his chest was open and they could see his heart beating. And their comments were apparently recorded that he now would suffer uh, and not be able to think properly as well as uh, come close to dying. And uh, because his cardia had been hurt. We don't know the extent of it, of course, because we didn't have cardio surgeon there. <laughs> no, be a minute. But uh, that's how we know what cardia means, because every time you see the word heart used, you find it's a translation from cardia. And of course, we get our word cardiology. Uh, from that particular Greek word. So, Alexander was physically tough and brave warrior. He suffered severe war wounds, the last being quite serious, when on the Indus River he is stabbed in the heart. And they recorded the comments of the men that he's... Uh, during his short life, uh, he would suffer memory problems, he would suffer physical problems, and uh, that's how we know cardia means heart. All right, during his short life, he continued his conquest and extended his control across North Africa to Libya and eastward to India. He ventured further than any other conqueror before him. The great empire which Alexander survived, uh, by, by the way, only a few years. I suspect that had a lot to do with his, his heart problem. But his successors fought each other for about 40, 40 years until territorial disputes were finally established. Ultimately, the dominant spheres of influence were headed by four men, Seleucus, Ptolemy, Cassander, and Lysimachus. Let me quote from the Cambridge Ancient History, 
Aristotle gave Alexander a general interest in philosophy. I left something out, Dave, I'm going to tell. Uh, Alexander, I'm not sure if I recorded it properly, but anyway, his mother told him his daddy was Hercules, and he uh, believed, uh, apparently, and uh, felt like he needed to make a name for himself. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. Yes, he did. All right, Aristotle gave Alexander a general interest in philosophy, scientific investigation, and medicine. And, of course, Aristotle was a great historian himself. The latter bore fruit in Alexander's care for the health of his army. He was one of the supreme fertilizing forces of history. He lifted the civilized world out of one groove and set it in another. He started a new epoch. Nothing could be again as it had been. He greatly enlarged the bounds of civilization, a scope and an opportunity such as they had never yet possessed. Greek culture spread throughout the world and for the use uh, of its inhabitants in place of the many dialects of Greece there grew up excuse me there grew up the form of Greek known as koine pronounced by many people kine the common speech. The Koine is considered by most objective philologists as the most communicative language ever developed. Any wonder then that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek? Oh my, could God have been in this? Is the question. And I think the answer is absolutely. Now let's look at the legs of iron in Daniel 2.40. And I shall read from the KJV first. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Now the NIV. Finally, again talking to the king, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. That is, all those others who rule in that fourth kingdom. The peasant shepherds living in hovels on the banks of the Tiber eventually moved to the safety of one of the seven hills around 
what we know today as Rome. They multiplied, spread out, and finally a city developed. Rome reached out gradually to conquer parts of northern and southern Italy. She took her place with Carthage in the western world while Syria, Egypt, and Macedonia were powers in the east. Rome would eventually become the legs of iron in verse 33. The thighs of brass would soon fall to the legs of iron. Carthage made an attempt under Hannibal to defeat the several cities of Italy, but failed for several reasons, not the least of which were extended logistical lines. Rome first seized Sicily and Spain in the Punic Wars. Next came Macedonia, and as war followed, war, the empire took shape. This fantastic expansion included Syria, North Africa, Asia Minor, Gaul, and Egypt. One historian has written, the Mediterranean became a Roman lake. Rome was mistress of the world through military might, but she lacked the ability to administer her possessions. Magistrates set out as governors by the Senate often looted their provinces and returned with fortunes, leaving hatred and rebellion in their wake. The Republic reeled from civil wars and the decadence of her people, and she might have suffered total collapse. Here we go. Had Julius Caesar not crossed the Rubicon with a sizable army to grasp power and become Rome's first dictator, he was returning from a very successful campaign with a large army, and uh, I guess he thought, why not? I think I shall cross the Rubicon and go into Rome, and that's the first man to ever take an army into the, I'll say it, city limits <laughs> of Rome. In less than 15 years, Caesar set Rome on a path of greatness. His brilliance on the battlefield ranged from the Black Sea to the Atlantic. Without realizing it, this man set the stage for the ministry of Christ. After the assassination of Caesar in 44 BC, there was change again and civil wars ensued. When Caesar's nephew, Octavian Augustus, became emperor, the Roman Empire was born. 
Many believe that 27 B.C. was the Roman Empire's date of birth. Augustus would rule until A.D. 14. Are you ready, David, to take over? I'll give it a whirl. Augustus did not seek new conquest, but carried forward the project started by Julius Caesar. Under Augustus, the realm became an empire of splendor. For the first time, the Roman world knew great peace. Jesus came into the world, lived, and went to the cross during this period of stability, a stability made possible by a strong military force. Under the Augustan Caesars, the dignity of man was upheld and many personal freedoms guaranteed. There were, however, many slaves, a direct result of military defeat. It's been estimated that from one-third to two-thirds of the population of Rome were enslaved at the time of the early church. Slaves were brought from defeated provinces where they served until being manumitted. Free people had privacy to pursue their own businesses and their freedoms were protected, but soon complacency set in, and people began to take their freedom for granted. The Roman people became soft, and the self-discipline which had maintained this vigorous race was replaced by the frantic search for happiness. The loss of perspective led to a cruelty, a thirst for blood, and the enjoyment of gladiatorial conquest. Entertainment became the vogue, an ultimate fighting was born. I think we call that politics, David. <laughs> it is doubtful the world has ever known such depravity and decadence. While under Roman rule, Israel rejected Christ and became openly agnostic toward Christianity. Even believing Israel became dull to doctrine and refused God's grace overtures, this was particularly true in Jerusalem. The dullness resulted in the A.D. 70 destruction of Jerusalem by the armies of Rome. The, Rome. the forces of Rome were first led by Vespasian and later his son Titus. By contrast, despite persecution and discipline in the first century, the church grew and solidified, and the canon of scriptures was completed. In A.D. 96, about the same time John the Apostle died, the reign of the Flavian Caesars ended. For the next 100 years under the Antoine Caesars, history records the golden age of Rome, the imperial peace. Let's take a cartographer's view of this golden age and how it grew. And we're looking at a map uh, that breaks Roman Empire out, and then we're under Julius Caesar and Augustus, and the, to the further extent, out to uh, from 60 BC out to 115 AD. The Groyler Encyclopedia was written of Rome. To the west of Greece, another people, similar to the Greeks in origin and institutions, was shaping an empire that was to be more durable. 
founded according to tradition in the 8th century BC. Rome in about 510 BC abolished its monarchy in favor of a plutocracy. As in Athens, the wealthy families known in Rome as the Patriots, the part, what's that word, G? Patricians. Patrician. Ruled the early city. Slowly, the plutocracy gave way to pressures from the majority, which had originally been excluded from the government and a republic was born. This basic institution was the Roman Senate, who became very famous, in which only partitions could, ser could serve. The plebeians, or commoners, gathered in a popular assembly, but they eventually exerted their greatest influence through the election of officials called tribunes, who could veto the acts of the Senate. Disputes between plebeians and partitions, patricians, led to an agreement in about 449 BC, by which the city's laws were posted on 12 tablets for public inspection. The solution helped create a tradition of solving public problems through law. By the 3rd century BC, Roman armies had conquered the neighboring Latins as well as the Greeks who had settled in the southern part of the Italian peninsula. By offering citizenship or privileged treatment to those people who could cooperate with them, the Romans were able to unify the entire peninsula and by 270 BC, they had created a state that extended far beyond the city walls. Pastor Merritt. Rome's expansion continued in wars with the North African city of Carthage. The Punic Wars, they were named. And they also fought with Macedonia. By 30 BC, Rome rule extended into Spain and parts of North Africa, including Egypt. Roman law made it possible to unify the varied, peop varied peoples conquered by the Roman armies. Like its laws, Rome's politicians or political institutions also evolved over the years by the Roman armies. They would enter a particular area, defeat the enemy, and establish their laws. Like its laws, Rome's political institutions also evolved. The expansion of Roman territory sharpened internal conflicts and after a prolonged civil war, the general Julius Caesar took command. His rise to power marked an end to the political power of the Senate and the Roman citizen and deemed the Republic form of government which had become a Increasingly aristocratic, or excuse me, aristocratic. All right, Caesar's enemies assassinated him in 44 BC, although Caesar himself had refused the title of emperor.
His successors began, excuse me, his successors beginning with Augustus and Tiberius ruled for life and passed their authority on to their heirs. That concludes lesson 28. That's the second half of it. Of the book of Daniel. Again, we are so happy you're here with us. Happy to be with you ourselves. Look forward to being with you again next week. Pastor Merrick, could you close us in a prayer? Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to study your word and to relate the history that we have to your precious word. And we can see now how things did indeed develop in order to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, and the many wonderful blessings that he would provide even as we speak today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Remember, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And again, until next time. So long.